The past few years have been turbulent ones for the Bahamas as its economic growth progressively contracted, due in large part to one, Hurricane Dorian, a Category 5 tropical storm that severely damaged Grand Bahama and Abaco, the country's second and third economies, and two, the pandemic of 2020, which brought the company to an economic halt for almost two years. Desperately in need of economic growth, and to reduce the country's reliance on tourism revenues, policymakers in recent years have sought to explore other economic industries. So on December 14, 2020, after months of research and consultation with international consultants and local stakeholders, the Bahamas enacted the Digital Asset and Registered Exchange Act, commonly called the DARE Act. As indicated by the Prime Minister and Minister of Finance, Philip Davis, the DARE Act is a testament to the visionary leadership and expertise that exist within the country. Prime Minister Davis also expressed how the DARE Act was important for registered companies under the Act, which wanted to be in a well-regulated, stable environment like the Bahamas, where their continued growth and expansion is supported and as an added benefit, good paying jobs for Bahamian professionals. The Prime Minister, the Cabinet, the Parliament and the Bahamian people at large were hopeful that the DARE Act and the relocation of FTX, the third largest cryptocurrency company in the world at the time, was the beginning of a new day and a grand opportunity to diversify the Bahamian economy. However, on November 2nd, 2022, just one year and a little over a month later, news broke that FTX, which was run by self-proclaimed altruist Sam Bankman-Fried, was in deep trouble. There were concerns of potential leverage and solvency issues involving FTX, affiliated trading firm Alameda Research. The news sent shockwaves throughout the cryptocurrency industry, and I would venture to say the world. Days following, FTX was placed in a court-appointed provisional liquidation in the Bahamas and Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S., and the company's founder and CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, was eventually arrested. What went wrong with FTX, and what, if any, impact will the failure of FTX have on the Bahamian economy, in particular the financial services industry? Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of CFAL Talks. I am Pamela Ferguson, Vice President of Investments here at CFAL and joining me in studio today are Lachelle White, Investments Manager and Angelo Butler, Senior Analyst here at CFAL. In today's episode, our panel will explore the fall of FTX and its impact on the Bohemian economy. So let's start with the basics. What is the origin of FTX? So how did it came about and shed some light on its link to the Bahamas? Well, FTX Trading Limited was founded in Hong Kong in May 2019 by Sam Bankman-Fried and Gary Wong. And it operated as a cryptocurrency exchange and crypto hedge fund until it went bankrupt last November. At the time of bankruptcy, FTX Digital Markets was headquartered in the Bahamas and incorporated in Antigua and Barbuda. Um, FTX Digital Markets 
started operating in the Bahamas in September 2021 under the DARE Act, which was passed in late 2020. And then there was another division, FTX.US, which operated as a separate exchange for U.S. investors since early 2020. And there are also some other related entities worldwide. It was quite a large conglomerate. Yes, and I think it's important as well to um, provide some insight into how Sam Bankman-Fried as well got started. Um, You know, as Pamela mentioned, the firm Alameda Research is a hedge fund in the U.S. that does trading and it's always said that this guy made his fortune by exploiting some sort of arbitrage in Bitcoin, right? Where the price of Bitcoin in one place was different from the price of it in the other. And so he would buy it in, let's say, the U.S., sell it in Japan at a higher price, and then convert the money back and continue that process. So I think that's where everyone kind of heard of this guy. And, um, you know, he, he really got his prominence. And I think he used that to spin off into... FTX and you know he looked like this genius for exploiting this opportunity which it indeed it was but you know that's I think where he got his start and his name and then he used that to branch out into FTX go around the world promoting and selling this idea and you know it grew into what it grew into when it first came to the Bahamas and then of course um, things have since transpired. He was on an interview where as a result of his initial success with Alameda, he tried to sell that product to other investors, but they weren't all of that excited, maybe because of the perceived risks that were involved. And so I think FDX came about because he realized that he needed to bring some confidence to the company because we know a lot of institutional investors like pension plans, they have mandates that you cannot invest in a company that's not traded on the stock exchange. And so to create an exchange, give those investors that invested in FTX a lot of confidence that this is probably something very reputable. And so I think that's the link to the Bahamas because the Bahamas was at that point looking at the digital um, digital legislation, um, that was a perfect opportunity for Bankman-Fried and FTX then to register with the Bahamas market and set themselves up as a reputable company where a lot of persons invested lots of monies via the exchange. And like you said, you know, there's been a lot of credibility issues around um, cryptocurrencies. Um, and the idea is to try and get it legitimized, get institutional money into it because... You know, what you're seeing with small individuals driving up the price of coins like Bitcoin and Ethereum that may be more prominent. You know, if the institutional money starts to come in, like you said, pension funds, savings plans, hedge funds, if they find some reputable, incredible entity and they begin buying, then the price is just going to exponentially um, go up. So I think, you know, all of that was a part of this plan to legitimize this industry and try to get it in the way that we view traditional instruments, the bonds, the equities, treasury bills and so forth. Yep. So even though cryptocurrency has been very popular in recent years, there's still many people who have no idea what it's all about and how it operates. So explain in the simplistic terms what cryptocurrency is and connect it to FTX. Well, I think, you know, today we traditionally or in history have operated on what's known as fiat currency, which, you know, in simple terms is physical currency or paper currency that's printed by central banks around the world. Now, I've always believed that, you know, the funds that you have in a 
commercial bank is also digital currency, right? But it's it's still viewed as uh, fiat currency. So cryptocurrency is, you know, in simple terms, explained as currency that's created or encrypted on some sort of digital ledger or blockchain. The more persons you speak to, the more explanations you can get of it. So I think the scope is pretty wide, but it's supposed to be some digital computer generated form of currency. But there are many different types and they're supposed to have different use cases, um, different utility. And so it's a very broad, I don't think you can properly explain it in any short response. And to add to what Angelo is saying, he mentioned that the monies that we may hold at a commercial bank is technically digital because it's not paper money. You see it on your account, but you don't go and see stacks of it in a vault. But the important difference is that cryptocurrencies are decentralized. So there's no central bank overseeing these currencies. And that's the main difference. The money in the commercial bank, the central bank is overseeing that. But in the cryptocurrency world, it's decentralized and it's basically exchange from pair to pair. They call it a pair to pair um, network. And you can have currencies such as Bitcoin, which is one of the most popular ones, which is mined. I don't really even understand the whole thing, but they use computers to go mine it. And then you also have Ethereum, which just switched over from mining, which uses a lot of electricity to like, a, they call a proof of work. So basically you have to prove that this currency exists and, you know, you go through the blockchain and all the ledgers. So it's quite, it can be quite complex complicated and intimidating to understand at first. I didn't really follow the crypto craze because for the the main reason of um, the argument being that they wanted to replace the fiat currency. Now, we have a sand dollar and it's our version of the digital currency. And so I could see sand dollar down the road replacing fiat because it operates exactly like the fiat currency. It's backed by our government, not central bank. So I could see that. But then when you come and you create another currency that's not backed by any reputable institution or even proof that is backed by actual hardcore currency, I have a fundamental problem with that. And I think it opens up the space for a lot of fraud. So if you're saying that crypto will be reap place fiat, then go over there and deal with your crypto. But then if you are using my fiat to give me some coins that is not backed by anything um, meaningful, I think that's fraud in the making. (laughs) And so that's my challenge I have with the whole cryptocurrency. But I do believe digital currency is the way to the future. And but it has to be backed by something. And I think the, you know, one of the questions I always ask is, you know, because a lot of these currencies operate on what's called a blockchain, right? Which is supposed to be an electronic um, accounting ledger system whereby, you know, no one can go in and edit individual transactions. It's very transparent. So I think the underlying technology is is very good and, and can be um, very useful. But what is the purpose of the coins per se other than, you know, the speculation that we're seeing in them, of course, like Bitcoin, they say there's a limited supply. And so it's kind of a hedge against inflation. It's, you know, a digital form of gold. So I think the underlying technology is good. But like you said, in a lot of the coins, it's just a lot of fraud. Someone goes and creates an app, um, a program creates 10 million of this coin, and then they sell it to us as individuals asking us for hard 
US dollars or um, hard currency. So some part of the blockchain and crypto thing, I think, will survive and do good in the long run. But a lot of it um, right now is very fraudulent. You have to be very careful investing in these things. Like you said, if I can go and create a coin and give it to you and you give me Bitcoin, then... You know, I'll take that, but I'm not going to, you know, necessarily give U.S. dollars. I think just investors have to be very careful, you know, very careful. Like when you take your hard-earned money and invest it, you really should try to understand what you're investing in because you have these big investors. I mean, these multi-billionaire investment companies who took their monies and invested in FTX with no real evidence that their money were being invested in a fiduciary capacity. Yeah, you know, sometimes you make an investment and you feel bad and then you look and see some of the world's richest investors or the biggest or most prominent investors, you know, they lose 10 times what you lose or made significantly worse investment decisions. So like you said, um, you know, it's just, I guess, a lesson. Um, A lot of due diligence, I think, was skipped in terms of both the industry, cryptocurrency as a whole, as well as FTX specifically. Um, so, you know, it's just a note to, like you said, be mindful and, and do as much scrutiny as you can before giving people your hard-earned funds. Mm-hmm. So what type of license did FTX receive from the Securities Commission of the Bahamas? And in general terms, what were they allowed to do and not to do? Well, as you mentioned earlier, um, FTX was registered under the Bahamas' Digital Assets and Registered Exchange Act, also known as uh, the DARE Act, and they were registered as a digital asset registrant. Like we mentioned, the act was enacted in December of 2020, and FTX was registered under the act in September 2021. So basically, the DARE Act provides a legal framework to regulate the issuance and sale of digital assets or cryptocurrency assets, including um, the digital tokens. And so FTX Digital Markets under this act was approved to conduct um, digital asset business, including acting as an exchange between digital assets and fiat currency and to an exchange between one or more form of digital assets. So they could trade one cryptocurrency against another cryptocurrency. And they also um, were allowed to operate the transfer of digital assets. And I think one difficulty here is the scope of FDX's operations is so wide. It's in many countries. And so, you know, how do you, from a regulatory perspective, control certain activities, right? Because, you know, if they can do it in, the Bahamas' jurisdiction per se, and they have 30 other subsidiaries um, somewhere else, and you just do them, you know, at one of those subsidiaries. But I think it would be curious if we can ever see, you know, what sort of due diligence is required when you're submitting an application like this, um, because you're now seeing a lot of liquidators in the States complaining about a lot of lack of processes and, you know, structures. So it'll be curious to see, like, what was submitted and whether those stuff were um, legitimate and, and actual, you know, processes and procedures were um, in place so that, you know, going forward, we learn from this as a regulator and have a better industry going forward. When I look at, I glanced through the, the act and there were three core functions for digital asset businesses. And one was an exchange between assets and fiat, two exchange between one or more forms of digital assets, and three, the transfer of digital assets. 
And when I look at that and I compare to what it appeared that FTX was doing, it was out of scope. So my understanding is persons who wanted to trade on the exchange, they had a digital wallet. So they got their digital wallet and their funds would leave their personal digital wallet and go on to FTX and then they would receive e-money. Now, I just look at our operations in a simplistic terms. If a client wanted to trade some securities on the exchange, we would re-register the securities from the client's name into our trading company's name and then replace those shares on the exchange. When they were executed, then we would pay the clients the funds if they are selling or if they are buying, we would receive the cash and we would re-register securities in the client's name. So these persons took funds out of their wallet and put it onto FTX's cryptocurrency wallet. I would think that based on the legislation, it was just there temporarily until they found the digital asset or the cryptocurrency that they were supposed to be trading. But what it looks like is that those funds were there and they were getting interest for having the money there. And they were it's almost like an investment business that was going on. Like, why would you put $300 million on an exchange account unless you felt that you were going to trade some securities? Either you place the order and you're just waiting until it's executed. But that part, to me, shows how fuzzy the lines were and how it appears that they were operating outside of what the legislation required them to do. Yeah, because like you mentioned that, you know, in essence sounds like a brokerage account. And, you know, with brokerage accounts, in some places you have the companies or registrants themselves have to keep X amount of capital. Sometimes it's insured. So an exchange and a brokerage account, totally different um, things. But again, like I said, I think given the global nature of the operation, you know, how do you track that? That activity didn't take place under the, you know, title of a jurisdiction somewhere else, um, although it's FTX digital market. So I think there's a lot of, of room for, you know, what happened to take place given that these companies are so global. And I think going forward, you do need to ask, you know, how much countries are you operating in? Um, how much related entities and all of these um, factors before, you know, giving granting licenses so let's discuss FTX and its operations from a public viewpoint up to November 12, 2022 and after. Well, FTX up until November 12 appeared to be operating um, under the DARE Act. Um, the company was buying stakes in other um, cryptocurrency companies and um, investors were basically just um, flocking to the company. They were operating um, in jurisdictions um, all around the world. But um, it was then discovered that um, perhaps FTX did not have sufficient, was not solvent enough to service um, its clients. And that's when um, basically everything fell apart um, after November 12th. And I think it's, um, again, going back to Alameda Research, um, you know, I think one of FTX's or downfalls, it seems, was that relationship right there, right? Because it seemed like they took client funds, like you mentioned, persons kept cash with them, um, cryptocurrency, and they transferred those assets to Alameda Research to make 
um, investments. Now, you know, with these type of things, when you have the market doing very good, a lot of these things can go on for very long because when everything goes up, you can hide a lot of um, fraud. It's only when, you know, they say when the tide, when the tide goes out, um, you know, you see who's wearing um, clothes or not. So, um, you know, cryptocurrency went through like a really bad period. And that's where you're seeing like a lot of these um, institutions because FTX is not the only one, right? There are a lot of exchanges and entities involved in cryptocurrencies that are just folding up um, left, right, and center. But I think the, again, Alameda, going back to Alameda, because I think this is where a lot of the problems started, you know, they took a lot of really risky trades using a lot of leverage, right? And if these positions had done what they thought they would do, they would they would have made a lot of money. But when it doesn't, you tend to lose a lot of money. And, you know, I like mentioned earlier with the arbitrage transaction, you know, it's easy to turn $10 into $20. But when everyone finds out that you did that and they bring you more money, it becomes difficult to turn 10 million into 20 million. So the bigger you get, the more difficult it is to replicate your past. And I think they thought that, you know, they could just do some trades and make this money back. And But it all unwinded because cryptocurrency really took a turn. I read as early as this morning where Sam Bankman-Fried is saying that he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't steal anybody's money. It was just that, you know, Alameda um, was in a liquidity situation. And when the when the current cryptocurrency market crashed, then Alameda became um, insolvent. But the, the challenge that he has is, is how did he get FTX's clients' money into Alameda. That's what he's going to... He has a fiduciary... He had a fiduciary capacity, um, responsibility for his clients' money. And uh, and he cannot claim... He didn't know. He cannot claim ignorance in that regard. So clients' money left FTX, went over into Alameda, a company that is owned by him, and then he pursued these risky investments. And like you mentioned, you know, it, it, there was this good image being portrayed. Um, you know, I remember seeing articles saying that he was the Warren Buffett of crypto because, you know, another firm went bankrupt a few months ago and he, he apparently stepped in and saved them. So, you know, the public image was very good. Like you mentioned, the advertisements, he had all the top celebrities, the Tom Brady, Steph Curry's, they were on the MLB umpire jerseys, they renamed arenas. So it was just endless um, spending it. You know, I was a bit suspect, but I, you know, said, okay, maybe it's a new industry, maybe it's the profitability is really good. Um, they were still raising capital, so they were fundraising. And so I said, this is maybe how tech companies in the venture space grow. Um, but like you said, it all turned out to be fraud in, in simplest terms. So what charges were levied against Sam Bankman-Fried locally and internationally? Well, locally, um, he was arrested, um, but you know, he was arrested on the basis of a request from the U.S. to um, extradite him. I think the, you know, regulators and as well as the attorney general's office was still looking into information, trying to see what all took place. Um, to, you know, I guess at some point they were going to file charges if the U.S. I assume had not. Um, you know, but who knows what would have happened. Um, but I, I think to this. You know, I'm not sure we as a jurisdiction want to be the one to handle um, something like this. So I think the U.S., um, you know, there was charges of fraud, misuse of customer funds. And of course, as the legal process drags out, things may be added as well as 
um, taken away. So locally, there hasn't been anything really, and who knows if there will be anything. Um, but won't that affect our jurisdiction when investors are looking and they're saying that if something were to happen to my monies that are in that are invested in this jurisdiction, there's no recourse. Like you better be linked to the U.S. or else, if something happens, there's no there's no recourse for 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 me. I know we have the provisional liquidators and we have liquidation, but in in the case of our country, that could take years and years and years. Um, whereas it looked like with bankruptcy, it tends to be very swift. We want to get this over quickly so the company can begin operating. But I believe that 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 can affect the reputation of our jurisdiction if people feel that 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 you know you have actors who can defraud you and there's no recourse. Yeah, I think um, it is a very bad luck um, for our jurisdiction and any sort of prolonged um, action, um, or, um, action um, like liquidation and stuff could harm us. Um, but I think that we can rebound perhaps in, in, in the long run. I think for us or for the jurisdiction and the regulators, FTX and SPF, as he's commonly known, were popular around, around the world. And so despite red flags, like you mentioned earlier, Pam, you had large billion-dollar companies, um, billion-dollar investment companies investing with him. Um, despite there were some red flags and nobody really saw it until it was too late. But it did happen kind of quickly. And as Angelo mentioned, you know, when the market was down, the cryptocurrency market was down. So everything was exposed. And, you know, um, he could go no longer go on with supporting Alameda Research with the FTT um, coins. So I think um, I think that we're getting a bit of a bad beating for it. And I don't think that all of it is deserved because, you know, this was happening um, all around the world. Yes, it was registered here. And yes, we had certain responsibilities, but it did happen within... Um, just over a year of them coming here. And, you know, maybe we should have done better, but we didn't. And so that's a lesson learned for us. But I think that we just have to tighten everything up. And it may be a good idea for them to levy some charges um, just to show that, hey, we mean business and we care about um, we care about misuse of clients' funds and we care about um, persons um, doing doing their fiduciary duty for the clients. And like you said, we have to. I think we have to find that balance because I, I think we tend to not be too punitive because we still want to attract foreign investors and um, individuals to come in and invest and move here. And so, you know, you want it to seem like, but like you mentioned, for, from the customer side, it's it's really bad, right? If you look at another example with the guy from the fire festival, you know, we're saying, oh, he's a fugitive and we're, we're not sure if he's here, but it's like this guy clearly defrauded Bahamians and, you know, nothing came out of it. So it seems like we have an approach where once the U.S. deals with you, we count it as, as sufficient punishment when, you know, I think we need to crack down because if it was, you know, when the regulatory agencies come to review the Bahamas as a whole, we tend to use it to apply things to Bahamians, right? Penalize Bahamians to say, okay, see, we have some cases, but it's these international frauds that we do need to start 
um, charging with And is it an international fraud that the the regulatory bodies are concerned about? They're not really concerned too much about what happened locally. Someone's stealing by reason of employment. They're more concerned about these big cases um, that happen internationally. So how will FTX's failure affect the Bahamas' international financial services industry? And what are the learning points for the international financial services industry going forward? I think the, you know, I think one um, impact that we're going to see is, and we've been dealing with it for a while, is difficulties in getting um, additional correspondent banking um, relationships, particularly in the um, private banking sector, um, you know, because whether, you know, whether we have any fault or not, right, it's the Bahamas and FTX tied up together. So a bank is going to say, why take risk? Um, in that jurisdiction, of course, we import just about everything. So we do need access to correspondent banking um, and a good reputation. That's why we seek to avoid all of these blacklisting and so forth. You know, I found interesting the other day that the insurers were saying that, you know, being blacklisted could impact the ability to get insurance coverage, which I never thought about. So I think we just need to avoid any sort of negativity um, surrounding financial services because it's a a sector that's actively being targeted with with no issues. So whenever an issue comes up, it's seen as, okay, see, we got them. Um, We told you all and so forth. So I think there's some negative um, overhang, but I think hopefully we take away positive um, lessons from it to scrutinize, trust and verify, like you mentioned, and, you know, come out as a better jurisdiction going forward. Michelle and Angelo, we have come to the end of another episode of C-File Talks. Thank you so much for contributing to this discussion and thank you, audience, for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please send us a note to info at cfile.com or visit our website at www.cfile.com and show your support. Thank you, C-File, for sponsoring this episode. Until next time.